If you have a copy of a Bible in your hand, please open it up to Nehemiah chapter 8. As you're turning to Nehemiah chapter 8, um, if you can all stand as we read this morning, I think you'll understand soon why we're doing this. Uh, just turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. On the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand. And Pediah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the second month, of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on, his, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths, and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua the son of Nun to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Thanks. You can be seated. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you so much for this word. 
Uh, thank you, Lord, that we get to come here and be in this outpost out here at Four South Fork Road. Jesus, I don't know. I know you don't need an invitation, Spirit. You don't need an invitation. I know that where two or three are gathered in your name, you're there. I just pray, Spirit of God, that regardless of where our hearts are, what we feel, what we're thinking, what we're coming in with, I just pray for a moment you'd give us peace. I pray that you'd give us open ears and eyes. And as I've prayed all week, God, I pray that you would renew our motivations towards obedience and love and worship and celebration and humility and grace all at the same time. Seems like a lot, but you seem like a big guy who can do it. So that's why we're coming to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome, guys. My name is Greg. Uh, I want to introduce myself to you if we've never met before. I'm the lead pastor here at Outpost Community Church, and it's a privilege to get to serve here. We're going through Nehemiah, which is a lot of fun. Congratulations to Chet for saying all those words very well. We're not sure if he said them right, but it sounded pretty good, right? Um, I got a question for you guys. Do any of you love watching uh, renovation TV shows? All right. Like, name, name one. <laughs> okay, there's the one. First one I have on my list. Good job. Uh, Magnolia's Fixer Upper. How about Property Brothers? All right. Flip or Flop, This Old House. What about restoration shows, right? Like uh, Junkyard Restorers, Graveyard Cars, things like that. Anybody like those? All right. Girls raise their hand first. Some dudes are now raising their hand. Awesome. Why do we like these things? They, they have a huge following, right? And even bigger revenue returns. These, guys, these are some of the biggest shows on television right now, right? Fixer Upper, when it was in its day, even though it's canceled, you guys are still watching it, right? Or not canceled, not going on. Uh, at least the last I checked. Why do we like watching these? I think the reason we like watching these is because it taps into an inner hope that every single one of us have that things can get better, right? That my house can look just a little bit better than what it looks like right now. We love that. So we watch episode after episode. We get inspired. Then when we turn it off, we start to make plans. We call a builder. We order some supplies and materials. We get our husband motivated so that we can work on our own fixer-upper. And once we finish with that, typically it's not enough. So we get inspired to, further, to follow other inspirations, other uh, advertisements, uh, how we can restore our skin, how we can get back to a size 6, how we can get our hair back to the black stallion color it used to be, right? How we can restore things in our life. We always, there's a, this inner hope in most of us that things can get better. We want things to get better. So whether it's our house, our car, our body, our marriage, in most of us, and I think a lot of you in this room, probably all of you in this room, there's this inner hope that things can get better. And it keeps us inspired to chase down all the avenues in your life Right? And every one of us has got them where we can restore and we can renew and we can make things good again. All right? And why am I telling you that? Why do I open that way? I open that way because this morning we're going to be talking about another inspiring story of renewal. And it's my prayer for you guys and for me that today we'll take some steps into that. Last week we were in Nehemiah chapter 6, if you were here with us. If not, one day it will be posted on the podcast probably next year and you can listen to it. That's a joke for some people who've been upset about that. Don't worry, we're working on it. It's great. Uh, but last week in Nehemiah 6, Israel had finished rebuilding the wall. It was this massive wall. What was an undefendable city was suddenly a fortress, and these guys built it in 52 days. It's pretty amazing. But surprise, surprise, there's no Chip and Joanna Gaines like move-in you know, thing at the end of the episode. We're actually only halfway through the story. Because this story is not about a rebuilding of walls. It is, but really, it's about a restoration of people. This story in the book of Nehemiah is not just about leadership and rebuilding of walls. And it's not just about any old restoration. This is not about a restoration to a city, a restoration to a home, a, restora a restoration to some friendships. This is a restoration between a group of people and their God. That's what this whole story is about. And so it's been my prayer all week that we'd be able to come in here and we'd be able to read this restoration because, and here's the thesis statement for the morning, guys. And I'm going to be reading a lot because I wrote way too many pages. Because true renewal is a direct result 
of a relationship with God. The renewal that all of you are looking for when you're dyeing your hair, or you're looking for when you're trying to get on a diet, or you're looking for when you're trying to get that kitchen updated, all the renewal we're really looking for is actually comes from a direct relationship with God. Believe me or not, it comes from a direct relationship with God. It's what God does, and it's what God is actually about, guys. He knows that he is what we are truly made for because he made us. That's what the Bible teaches us. He knows that our hope for better homes, our hope for better bodies and circumstances in our life, those things are not going to meet our need. And so what he does is in his grace and his kindness to us, he reveals how we can have true renewal through a relationship with him. It's amazing. And so today, we're going to look at that, and we're going to look at it in three different parts, okay? Here's how we're going to break this down together. First, we're going to look at a renewed Israel in Nehemiah chapter 8. Then, at the very end, and quickly, we're going to look at a renewed us, and then we're going to look at how God is going to renew everything. Got that? We're going to look at a renewed Israel, a renewed us, and a renewed everything. You guys ready to do this? You awake? You have your Bible? Then you have everything you need. Let's do this together, Okay. So in the first point, a renewed Israel, I'm going to break this down, guys, into six different parts. Don't freak out. We're going to break it into six different parts, and they're simple. It's this. We're going to talk about worship, reading, understanding, humility, celebration, and obedience. All right? I'm going to say them again. So all you note takers, no worries. All right? Don't worry about a thing. These six parts, they make up the entire chapter, and they're extremely important for us but before we dive into them, I want to introduce you guys a character. It's a character that, if you are reading your, bo- uh, your Bible properly, you would have already met this guy. Because the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, they actually go together. And so if you would, and Ezra comes first. So you would already know who this guy is. But uh, Ezra, all right, is a contemporary, and he's a co-leader with Nehemiah in the rebuilding and the rest, uh, restoration of the people. This guy's been here the whole time. And so Nehemiah is the guy who we've been talking about, right? We're in the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is going to take a step back so that this guy Ezra can take a step up onto a platform and lead something. So who is this guy? What is so cool about him? Well, I want you to take a note to go back to Ezra chapter 7. I want you to read that entire chapter. It's amazing. It's going to help you understand so much more what's going on here. But let me read to you just a little bit. Ezra chapter 7, verse 9. This is what it says about Ezra. He, he actually came from Babylon, just like Nehemiah, all right, about, about 15, 13, 15 years before, okay? For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was upon him, talking about Ezra, and then here comes verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules at Israel. Pretty dope. Let me tell you why. It's extremely important information. He studied what God said. Before he told anybody about it, he sought to practice what God said. And then he preached what God said. That's the kind of life that Ezra dedicated himself to. And if you fast forward to Nehemiah chapter 8, which we just read, it says that he is a priest because he's from the Levitical tribe. And he's also a scribe, which means he continually rewrites the law, but not rewrites it and changes it, just copies it, okay, and creates copies. All right. Now, here's a really important truth I want you to understand, because this morning we're talking about renewal, which is another fancy way of saying revival, okay? At the beginning, and I think everyone in this room probably wants revival, wants renewal. If you're a Christian in this room, raise your hand if you would love to see revival, real Now, that is the greatest hand raising I've ever seen. Thank God. At the beginning, listen, guys, at the beginning of every great renewal, great revival, there are always, or there is always, a man or a group of men and women whose hearts are set on God like Ezra. At the beginning of every great revival, are men and women like Nehemiah and Ezra who come together to seek the welfare of a group of people, knowing that the greatest way I could seek the welfare is by bringing God to them. 
So my prayer is, if we want to see this in Cody, y'all, my prayer is that God would raise up Nehemiah's and Ezra's in you. That in this room right now are men and women who want to know God's word, who want to practice it, and who want to teach it to others. Not with some legalism, but because having a relationship with God leads directly to renewal. You understand? At the beginning of every one of these movements. Let's keep going. So let's set the scene here. All right? You just heard it read. Let me just kind of paint a picture for you. It's the first day of the seventh month. Okay? And the seventh month is the holiest month in the Jewish calendar. There's a lot of partying going on during this month. Okay? Day one of this month is a day of rest. They'll blast a trumpet to signal that today is a day of rest. It's the beginning of the seventh month. And so everybody takes the day off. Anybody like that? Religious days where you don't have to work. It's fantastic. So you take a day off. They're going to be together. Then it's uh, 10 days later is going to be the Day of Atonement or the Feast of Atonement. And the Feast of Atonement is a beautiful day. Uh, but then five days after that, on the 15th day of the seventh month, is the Feast of Booze, okay? The Feast of Booze. And this is an eight-day festival, all right? where you're going to live in these little shacks made out of branches. doesn't sound like a party, but you're going to eat, you're going to spend time together, and we're going to talk more about what that is. And so these people, all right, it's the first day of the seventh month. They're here. The trumpet's probably blasted. It's probably a ram's horn. Super dope. And they come together, like you, as one man, which shows this, like, level of unity to it. And they come to the water gate. And the water gate, this is the east wall, all right, of this building. Am I right about that? Yeah, I'm right. Okay, that's east. All right, so they come to the east gate, one of the, one of the gates on the east, which is the water gate. And at this gate, which is right across from the Mount of Olives is what we call it today. Think Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus praying for you, right between is the Kidron Valley. That's where they're at. They're here on this east side. And what happens is Ezra gets up on a wooden platform like this, okay? And he gets up on this wooden platform so that, why? Because he didn't have one of these. So everyone can hear him and see him. And what does he do? He then opens up, it says the book of the law, which is a scroll, which was probably the Torah, right? First five books of the Old Testament, all right? Or most of them. We definitely know Leviticus. And so he opens that up. And when he opens it, what do they do? They stand up. All right, I'm not going to make you stand, but we did earlier. You see? And they stand up. And then it begins. So let me reread. Verse 5. If you're in Nehemiah 8. Go to verse 5. Just follow with me. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. Basically, everyone, this is what we're about to go through. For he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra, look at this, blessed the Lord with a great Elohim, great God. And all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped Yahweh with their faces to the ground. All right, I love this. Because they gather as one man, and the first thing they do, point, sub-point one of the six, what do they do? They worship God. They start by acknowledging who they're there to talk to. My, anybody ever seen this TV show called The Crown? Nobody? Okay, okay, all right, be proud of that, that's great. Um, my wife has been watching The Crown, all right, I've been kind of following along. It's just a British drama, but it follows Queen Elizabeth, right, and so it's kind of like a historical, fictional, dramatic, whatever. Women love it. I don't know, I'm falling in love with it, it's great. But there's a scene in there, all right, where Queen Elizabeth, she's in her little meeting room, and there's a new prime minister of England, and this new prime minister is never sat and come to this room to meet with the queen. And so before he goes in, there's this like, scene where this, this guy dressed in all this stuff uh, is telling this prime minister what it's going to look like to come into the room to meet with the queen of England. And so he says, she's going to ring us in. And I'm going to go in, and then I'm going to introduce you. Then you will come in. You will turn towards the queen. You will nod with just your head, and then I will leave the room. You will not sit unless she invites you to sit. You will not say hello until she says hello. You will not take her hand unless she extends her hand to you. When she's done, she will ring me. I will come in. I will signal you for you to come back. You will walk backwards away. You will bow with your head, and I will lead you out. It's like this whole ordeal. Why? Because she ain't meeting with Greg Brooks, or he's not meeting with Greg Brooks. He's meeting with the queen, the queen of England. So there's all this like pomp and circumstance. It makes sense. These people 
are not coming to meet the Queen of England. They're coming to meet God. They're coming into the presence of the Lord. And so when they come, it's not pomp and circumstance. It's respect, and it is honor, and it is praise. First and foremost, let's worship who we're here to see. Right? So that is what they start with. Remember what I said, guys, at the beginning. True renewal is a direct result of a relationship with God. And to have a true relationship with God, you have to first understand who he is. And when you understand who he is, you are freed up to respond correctly to God. And the correct response to God is humble worship, verbally and physically. All right? Verbally, Ezra blesses God because of his greatness. In response to that, everybody shouts what? Amen, amen, which is just basically an agreeance to the blessing. This is true. We agree. We're with you, Ezra. Bless the Lord. He is great. He is awesome. So this is the proper beginning to reconnecting with God. If you want to reconnect with God and you're in this room, the best place to start was with worship. That's where we start. Isn't that crazy? So good. But the next thing is reading, which might sound like a snoozer. But it's pretty awesome, all right? Next point is reading. It starts with worship, then they go to reading. And verses 1 through 8 of Ezra, there's kind of this understanding that they're all gathering together to listen to the law. And the law is what's going to be brought and, and read in front of everyone. And this is extremely important, guys. Extremely important. Exactly why the number one core value at Outpost is what? Devote daily, right? When we say devote daily... To the word of God in prayer, devote daily to a relationship with God, primarily through his word. So we say that's why at Outpost, our members, we encourage them to read their Bibles every single day. Because the words of the law are all about who God is, what God has done, and how to have a relationship with God. If you think about it, if we did not have this thing called the Bible, the Jews and us, we would all be stumbling in the dark. We'd have no idea how to rightly relate with God if we did not have this. It tells us how to do that, and it tells us how the world works, okay? But reading is just the beginning. Reading, it only matters if you finally, through your reading, arrive at understanding, okay? So listen to this. Like most relationships in your life, your friends, your spouse, your community team members, they don't want you just to hear them when they're talking, right? They want you to listen. And listening requires a certain type of focus. It requires maturity. Sometimes it requires a little bit of help. What, what are you trying to say? Help me understand what you're saying. What did he say? Could you help me understand? Greg, I don't think you're getting it. This is what he's trying to say. All right? And that's exactly why twice in here it says that the people who were there that were gathered were the people who could understand what was read. It's the reason why... You are here, and I'm talking to you like this, and the kids are downstairs. There's some things we say in here that are meant for adults. There's some things that we say in here that a kid's going to go, this is a snoozer. What is this guy up there talking about? Right? And they're down there, and they're screaming about all kinds of weird stuff. And they're saying it in a way that they can get it. Right? Painting pictures and stuff like that. Though I think some of you wished I would do more drawing maybe. Right? <laughs> okay. I don't know. So all goodness. There's a baseline of maturity expected. Because it's not just that we read, it's that we understand. So, in the, but in this room, this is amazing, guys. Try to envision this in your head. Thousands of people, guy up on a platform. And there's also this other group of people, right? He's got 13 people around him. Ezra up on a stage with 13 of the, of the elders, the leaders of the people of Israel. But there's also a group of men who are out there in and among everybody, right? Yeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub. All these guys, right? And so they're all out there. And what are they doing? They're helping the people to understand the law, all right? Look at verse 7. While the people remained in their places. So it's like you being here and what's going on. And this is so rare and so, like, awesome. But it would be like if I'm reading the Bible, I'm going to read it, I'm going to pause, and there's going to be some guys in each section who are going to go, all right, guys, any questions? Let me help you understand. Let me bring clarity. What's confusing about this? People are kind of like, oh, what, what does that mean? What does this mean? Why that? And go, okay, well, let me explain it to you. Blah, blah, blah. Wants to kind of explain. You pause. Ezra picks it back up. He keeps on reading. 
And then he pauses, and then they do it again. You see that? It's these people that are out there. Because look, the goal is not to wow you with my preaching. My, the goal is not to wow you with how much Bible reading I'm, I'm doing. The goal is that you would understand what God's word says. And you know what's amazing about that? I love this. It's because other religions, right, uh, they pride that this is, what a, this is like the definition of a cult. They pride themselves on secret things, right? Mormon, Mormonism does this, right? Yeah, I think some people hate that I call it Mormonism all the time. It's just not Christianity, right? It's a complete gigantic lie. And it prides itself sometimes on secret, secret rooms where you can go. And it's these places, all cults do this, where if, if you're righteous enough, right, or secret, if you give enough, we'll let you into this room and you can see and, you're gonna, and we're going to show you things you've never heard before, right? But with God, that is not the case. God wishes that every man would understand what he's trying to say. He wants you to understand it. That's why I love the Bible, right? The Bible is a place where children, it's like, it's like shallow waters that children can play in and be safe. But it's also something that the theologians are drowning in. The Bible is deeper than you can imagine, but it's also simpler than you care to ever admit. It's beautiful. And God wants the people to understand. Why does he want them to understand? Because understanding is extremely important. See, God is not trying to make you guys guess. He's not trying to make you guess. He's not hiding. He wants you to know everything you need to know. I love this, okay? Uh, the book of Proverbs is one of my favorite things. I read a chapter every single day. There's 31 of them, usually 31 days in a, in a month. And so I just committed. I was like, I want to read one a day for 10 years and just see what it does for my life because it's all about wisdom. And in the book of Proverbs, there, Proverbs 9, it's got this really cool invitation. Listen to this. It talks about wisdom being a lady, which is about right, right? Right, women? Right? You're like, yes, I am wisdom. He is an idiot, right? <laughs> and so it says that, I love it, lady wisdom she invites everyone to come and understand. Let me read this to you. It's so beautiful. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Isn't that awesome? It's an invitation. Come, I've got good food. I've got good drink. Come be in here. I've got right, good things for you. All right? So, friend, it's right here. Seven pillars, her house. It's in this. Christians, read the thing. I'm yelling at you because all of you go, ah, I just don't know, you know? It's like, well, it's because you don't read your Bible. It's not that hard. It's written in English. Jeez Louise. All right. That made you feel guilty. Listen to my face. I don't care. <laughs> so why is understanding so important, guys? Why is it important? Because understanding leads to clarity about reality. Some of you are like, I don't understand why the world is the way it is. Reading God's word is going to give you the clarity about reality. What do I mean by that? Understanding what is truly right and what is truly wrong comes through the word. You want to know why things are broken? It's right here. It tells you. It explains it from beginning to end. It shows why. All right? And it's something that the Jews who are sitting there in Ezra's day, it's something that they understand quite seriously. Look at verse 9. Brilliant. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Why do they shout that? It seems random. The next sentence says why. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. If you're looking to pinpoint the exact moment of renewal that has started in the people of God in this chapter, it's right here in verse 9. It's this moment. At the moment where true humility and brokenness over their relationship with God smacks them in the face. 
And that is why I call this next section humility. Go from worship to reading to understanding. And the first thing that should happen after understanding what God's word says is humility. By coming together with the desire to be right with God. Key. Coming together with a desire, with a want to be right with God. Reading his word, understanding what it means, they now understand why the relationship with God has been broken. They understand now why their life has been the way it's been. Why their world is broken. It's because they walked away from him. And when you walk away from God, you are giving up right and wrong. You are giving up light for dark. You are giving up good for bad every time. Because God is the definition of good. And if he defines good and you walk away from him, what did you walk away from? You walked away from what's good. You walked away from what's good. Everyone who reads the word of God has a similar experience. All right? Every single one of us, when we read God's word, we have a similar experience. Similar. We find out that life, our life doesn't really line up with God's plan. Anybody ever find that out when you're reading it? Right? Quite, pretty quickly. He says not to steal. What do we do? We steal. He says not to murder. What do we do? We kill each other. He says not to commit adultery. We commit adultery. He says not to have any other gods but him. And we worship other gods, other leaders, and we worship our own self above God. Now let me clarify something. Everyone has a similar experience, but they don't all have the same experience that these guys have. All right? Verse 9 isn't a simple learning experience about, oh, that's what the law says, fact, fact, truth, this. Okay, it's something so much deeper and so much more complex, and it's something that you cannot manufacture, and I can't manufacture in this room. I wish to God I could, but we can't. Their learning and understanding, it causes them to weep over the brokenness. Why does it cause them to weep over the brokenness, guys? Because they actually want to have a relationship with God. Let me tell you something. There is like 7 billion people on this planet or whatever, and I don't have a relationship with most of them. And listen, I don't really care, right? And neither do you. So somebody, even in Cody, somebody walked up to me and go, dude, we don't have a relationship. I go, who are you? Right? I don't know what your name is. I mean, I don't mind having a relationship. I don't know you, but I'm not upset about this. But if my wife walked up to me, if Bonnie walked up to me and she said, hey, we don't have a relationship, that would break my heart. Why? Because I want to have a relationship with her. That's the difference between some of us and others in the room. Some of us are broken because we do want to have a relationship with God. Some of us don't care. And it's, listen, it's all right. Don't care. So that's why it doesn't, you read it and you go, I just don't really, I read this word, I don't really care. The people in this day, the reason why revival is beginning here in, the, in their hearts is because they actually want to have a relationship. Eugene Peterson said this, look guys, this is how we usually come to God's word. And Eugene Peterson in this book, it's a great book. I suggest all of you read it. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He says these, these words, and it's so helpful. He says, we are taught to read in order to gather information. Our schools train us to read books so that we can pass examinations. We're good at looking for facts. Knowledge is power, they tell us. Books contain stuff that we can use to get a degree, fix an engine, hold down a job, solve a mystery. But the Bible is not primarily a source of information. It is one of the primary ways that God uses to speak to us. God's word, we call it, which is to say God's voice. God's speaking to us, inviting, promising, blessing, confronting, commanding, healing the Bible is not so much God telling us some thing, some idea, some fact, some rule, as God speaking life into us. He says, are we listening? Are we answering? The question from this text is, is weeping the right answer when you read God's word? In my opinion, it is yes. It's the first and great answer when you read God's word. If you want to have a relationship with God. You hear that? Because without the recognition of sin, without the recognition of brokenness, you will never have a Savior. And without a Savior, there will be no celebration in your life. No celebration. 
It'll, your whole life is just going to continue to be a, a constant practice of coping with problems. Anybody feel like that's what you got going on? Your alcoholism is not the problem. It's what's, it's, you going to alcohol to, because of the problem. Your porn addiction is not the problem. There's another problem, and you're coping in life with these things. Your whole life is becoming a coping mechanism. That kitchen's not going to fix it. It's something in here. So getting those white marble things and white everything and, you know, white, 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 white. It's not going to do it. Because inside, there's stains from sin. That's the truth. So humility should hit every single one of us. Every one of us, me included. Ezra up on his stage included. And so... It should lead us to mourning. It should lead us to brokenness. It should lead us to humility. It's not something you can manufacture. The day that it finally struck me, I couldn't help it. I just couldn't help it. I wept when I finally realized what I had done to break the relationship with God. But thanks be to some friends, the Word, and God working through it all, my weeping did not end in death. My weeping ended in celebration. Anybody? So the next important thing is celebration. Because listen, there's a lot of people who, listen, they, they don't really want to, people, are, they want to avoid reading God's word. And I get it, right? They read it and it just makes them mad. It's all the things I did wrong. It's always pointing out what I did wrong, right? We, we don't like it. But, but what many people fail to see, what I failed to see, was the Bible doesn't just tell us the ways things are right and wrong. It also shows us God's mercy and grace in spite of everything we did wrong. In the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, okay, God gives, speaks a word to Solomon in his dream, and he says this. It's so good. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves... Basically, recognize who they are not and who I am and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And that's the reason why the Jews have never been wiped out. Because our God is a God who's committed to people. And when he makes a promise, he keeps it. And though we break our promise over and over, if we will humble ourselves, repent and come to him, he is so gracious, he's willing to forgive us and restore the relationship. Do you see that? That sounds like a one-sided relationship. Thank God for it. And so we have something to celebrate. And that's when verse 10, they said, uh, then he said to them, verse 10 of chapter 8 of Nehemiah, this is brilliant. Chet and I were talking about this before. Only place in the Bible that we could find where it says, says these words. It's pretty freaking crazy, right? Sorry, I said freaking. I'm trying to work on that stuff, right? I'm just changing slowly, okay? But I haven't said crap yet, so like that's great. People, so it says this, verse 10, Then the people said, Go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, right? Which is just a mercy and a gracious. Grace is so beautiful. He says, For this day is holy to our God. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We sing songs about that. What? What? The joy of the Lord is your strength. You guys cannot take a long enough day to think about that. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What does that mean? It means that. It, and you might feel a little weak because you're so wicked and you're broken and you can't get your stuff together. But you, you can have some strength, right? You can have some real strength when you find out that in spite of all that, God's got such a crazy joy for you. Knowing that my God's got a joy over me in the midst of my sin goes, oh, gosh, okay, good. That kind of lifts me back up. You see why? You can't stop. You should never stop thinking about that. God has, listen, friend, for you, there's someone in this room right now who feels like you're not supposed to be here. You feel like you don't deserve to be in this room right now. I just want to tell you, whatever you feel, God doesn't feel the same. This is a room full of sinners just like you. And God is saying he has joy over you. So let that strengthen you for whoever you are in the room. Now, this Bible is full of all these places where God is trying to remind the people that he loves them. And 
A great example is all the feasts, right? It's the seventh month. It's the holy month. There's all these feasts, seven feasts that God, so he gives them all these commandments, but he also gives them these feasts. And these feasts are wonderful. They're awesome. They're parties. They're days off for them to rest and be reminded of how much God cares about them, right? Leviticus 23, 24, we know they read it. It says, speak to the people of Israel, saying in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe the day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with the blast of a trumpet, a holy convocation. On this day, a trumpet would blast to signal the end of the agricultural year, as well as the beginning of 10 days of introspection as they headed to the Day of Atonement, another feast. And that day, the priests would make the sacrifice on behalf of themselves and the entire body, which is just a massive picture that God wants to have a relationship with them, and he made a way to make it happen. How awesome is that? It's a day of remembrance. God wants to be with us, guys. It's awesome. It's this day of atonement. And it says that they are solemn times of celebration, which means so they're solemn because of their necessity. But they are celebratory because of the opportunity that they provide for us. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions to one another to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that had declared to them. Remember this. Just imagine this. They go out, and they're cooking dinners, and they're sending food to everybody, and they're welcoming them, sending all, and they're all hanging, and all are gathered together, and no one counted what they had as their own. And they're eating together and fellowshipping and just rejoicing in all that God's doing. It's a party. You see this? Remember that image because we're going to come back to it. Understanding God's word led people to humility, and God's feast led them back to celebration, partying together because God is faithful to them, and it is his joy to do so. So, guys, these are all the steps. They, the people gather together for worship. They read God's word. With the help of godly leadership, they come to understand it. They're humbled by their failures. Uh, because of his mercy, they celebrate. And finally... They're motivated towards obedience. It, should, it doesn't end in celebration. It ends, ends with a joyous, not a have to, but a want to obedience. Verse 13, on the second day, the heads of the fathers, houses, and all the people, uh, of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. What a cool picture. All the dads are going, we got to go get some more of this. So they go to Ezra and they're like, hey, open it back up. Let's study some more. I love that picture. And they found it written in the law of the Lord that commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns of Jerusalem. Go into the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as written. Look, don't, don't snooze out on me right now. It's, gonna get, it's getting better. So their hunger for God's word led all these dads to go, we need more of this. Hey, family, y'all hunker down, hold it together. I'm going to go find out more about what we just read yesterday. So they go, they get there. It's brilliant. Verse 16. So they, they find out something they're supposed to do, and what do they do? What do they do? Verse 16. So the people went out, and they brought them all these branches and made booths for themselves, each in, on his own roof and in the courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim and all the... And, and all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity, everybody made booze and lived in those booze. For from the days of Jeshua, which is Joshua, the son of Nun, that, uh, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was a very great rejoicing. Which is another way of saying what? It was a huge party. And the day by, listen to 18, listen to these words. And day by day. From the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Oh, this is so good. And you're like, why? That was so boring. Because they've gone through all this, and now they're just, their obedience has become not something that's judge, drudgery, not some old Baptist building, you better do this. It's become this thing they're like, I just this grace-motivated righteousness. We get to do this. And that's why I say it's awesome because they are so motivated, they're obedient. So the people read, they get together. Listen, guys. This, oh, man, it's amazing. The Feast of Booths, guys. You got to understand what the Feast of Booths, right, the Feast of, uh, uh, of Tabernacles, whatever. This is, 
This is a celebration that reminds them of how God took care of their people in the wilderness when they traveled for 40 years and how God provided for them. It's a reminder that God takes care of you in your wilderness. And so they're getting together and they're celebrating this. And these are a group of people who didn't spend 40 years in the wilderness. They spent 70 years in captivity. And they just got back. And many of them, their houses are not even built yet. And now they're sitting in these like little stick shanties, throwing parties and going, our God is the God who takes care of us in our wilderness. Do you hear? You see that? He takes care of us in our wilderness. And it is amazing. It's beautiful. But it's nowhere near as cool as what I'm about to show you next. All right? So perk up a little bit, Christians. I'm going to talk about you now. Because that was just the first point of this three-point message. Okay? So here's what we want to talk about. That's a renewed Israel. It's a people dwelling in these booths. Hey, inside of those booths, inside of uh, the walls of those booths were olive branches. And the hill that's across from the east gate where the word was read to these people is full of these olive trees. And in John chapter 1 in your New Testament, it says to us that somebody walks through the east gate of Jerusalem and he was the word of God, Jesus. And Jesus, at one of the feasts, the feast of Passover, he was crushed like an olive. And olives in Jerusalem represent healing, because what was crushed out of them comes olive oil, and the oil was used for healing for people. And Jesus was crushed like an olive for us at the Passover. He became like a Passover lamb sacrificed for everyone. And then 50 days later, at the Feast of Pentecost, which is a celebration, okay, at the end of the grain harvest, when there's this huge collection of all this grain, there's another feast, another party celebrating God's provision. Something happens, and it's in Acts chapter 2, and I want you guys to go there. Go to Acts chapter 2. It's in your New Testament. I want you to read this because God's not just interested in renewing Israel. He's interested in renewing you. And 2,000 years ago, something crazy happens. Starting at verse 14, I want to read this to you guys. The people of Ezra, the people of Nehemiah, all those guys, they were rebuilding a wall, they were rebuilding a temple, and they got to dwell inside of those walls, and they were doing it to get ready for a king, to get ready for this king who's going to come, the Jews preparing the way. And then this is what Peter says up on a sermon after people just saw something crazy and heard, the, heard some, a worship service like they'd never seen. Verse 14 of chapter 2 is, but Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. What was Ezra doing? He was standing up on a platform. He was surrounded by 13 other men who were there with him. What's Peter doing? He's standing up most likely at, uh, at the southern side of the temple, standing up at the top steps, looking at thousands of people who had come at Pentecost to worship God. And he's looking down at all of them with the 11. And he says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words for these People are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, who is the king that Ezra and Nehemiah prepared for, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in their midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he is both dead or that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, which is one of the reasons why Nehemiah and Ezra come back to rebuild because of the promise to David. You guys see, this is not a joke. This thing is legit. This is your word. It's the reason Ezra and Nehemiah rebuild the wall and there's renewal in the people of Israel because of what that just said. And now Peter is quoting it again for you. Let me read it again. But being therefore a prophet and knowing David and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, of the Christ, that he would not, uh, was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promises of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you, are, you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. I mean, you're not a Jew, guys. Not that I know of. And so you probably don't fully understand this, but the people, the Jewish people, were waiting eagerly for the Jewish king to come. It's the whole reason why they rebuilt walls. It's the whole reason why they built the temple. And it's the whole reason why a lot of them, including the Pharisees, which started as the Maccabees, these people who just wanted to hold on to righteousness, right? It's the whole reason why they're trying to be obedient. Their hope was if we're good enough, God will come. But you know what's crazy? And all their legalism, they ended up being the ones who killed Jesus. Guys, you and all your hope and your home getting better and your marriage getting better and your body getting better and this world getting better, you crucified Jesus. You've been working so hard to make your life better. And for what? Is it better? And in the process, you ended up crucifying Jesus the one who actually had the power to make it better. And look what it says happens to this people. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What does this remind you of? The weeping. When the people heard the word of God, and they realized they were humbled and they wept. That's exactly what's happening right here. And it's exactly what happens to every single person who wants to have a relationship with Jesus when they realize that they're the reason nails went through their Savior's hands. And you cannot come to Jesus until you realize that. Because he won't be a Savior. He'll just be some crazy guy. And Peter said to them, listen, friends, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Even the forgiveness of crucifying the Savior. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added, there, uh, added that day about 3,000 souls. That sounds like a revival to me. And so I want to kind of close this out because I want you to know that the fruit of a relationship with God is love and joy and peace. God is so much, so much less concerned about the circumstances of your life getting better as he is concerned about who you are on the inside, having a, a, this stream of love and joy and peace living inside of you. 
You know what's the greatest testimony that Christians ever can share with the rest of the world? I think you could find it in a book called Torture for Christ. Right? It's a man who's being beaten to death for 14 years, left three years in isolation, and in the midst of it all is quoting scripture to himself and singing songs and preaching the word through the walls to his cellmates. What's so amazing about the people of God is you just can't stamp out the love and the joy that lives inside of them. Even if you strip them of their white countertops, right, and their big suburbans, you strip them of all of it and they're going, I'm still so happy. Because the one thing I couldn't deal with, Jesus dealt with, and I now have it dealt with, and I'm free. So what can man do to me? Romans chapter 8 tells us what? Nothing. Nothing. So if your whole life is built on this foundation of other people's opinions of you, whether or not they like you or they agree with you or your boss gives you the raise or not, or you have a, guys, I, I'm not just, I don't want to stand on a platform just to, like, you're doing a church thing right now. But I'm a real human being, just like you. And I have found out, just like many of you, that it's a lose-lose game to go the world's way. And that's why I give my life, not because I go, like, being a pastor sounded so cool. It's actually horrible. <laughs> Absolutely terrible. Because I don't get to cut grass and see the lines. I get to talk to a group of people who are finicky and depressive and emotional and all that stuff. And I'm one too. And so you don't get to see anything. But man, when I get to, I tell you what, there's, there's a gal in here who's got a daughter. And Jake and I got to sit on the couch with her. And she was complaining about a lot of stuff in her life. And it was okay. It's not in here. I'm just telling you. But she was complaining about everything in her life. This stuff was going on. And me and Jake just listened. And we're there. She's weeping. And after she said all these things, I go, hey, that's great. And we do care about all that stuff. But let me ask you what you're really trying to ask. Do you really want Jesus? And you want to give your life to him? And then she crumbled. And she wept. And then we got to tell her that in spite of everything she's done, everything that's wrong, Jesus loves her. And that girl gave her life to Jesus, and it was awesome. You know what's the best thing in my life? Is when people cry because they finally realize that God loves them. Like I did when I was 15, and I wept on this little college girl who was trying to pray for me, and I lost my mind. It was amazing. That's, you go, man, that's a weird job to have. Live for, live for the tears. I, I don't live for the I live for something to celebrate. What I can truly celebrate is when people are not going to be affected by the world anymore. They're going to be secure in their relationship with Jesus, and they can praise and worship him. And you know what's so great about that? And you know why we Christians can endure to the end through all these hardships and all this stuff? We can, we can deal with things not being right. We can deal with the world being corrupt and broken. It's because we know that God's not just trying to renew Israel. He's not trying to just renew us. He's coming one day to renew everything. Go to Revelation 21 with me. It's the very end, very end of your Bible. I want to read this to you. Jesus says that he's going to renew everything. I'm trying to give you some hope this morning that things can get better. Friends, things can get better. But it all has to come through a relationship with Jesus because this is what Jesus says. Revelation 21. This is John speaking who loved Jesus and Jesus loved this man. In his old age, he was given a vision and he said this, then I saw the new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. She's beautiful. Hey, ladies, and white. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be, the, to, uh, be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And listen to verse 5. This is, this is so important. You hear what he says. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Amen and amen. 
Friends, if we want to see a revival, if we want to see a renewal in our lives, you have to first make the personal decision to worship God, to read his word, to seek to understand God's heart for you, that God wants to renew you and change you and grow you. Just having a fantastic conversation with a brother who's been completely transformed in the last two years. And a humility because of your personal sin, he wants to then bring in his mercy and grace so that you could celebrate and you could party and you can worship. And the worship team's going to come up because we're going to do that. We're going to sing. We're going to rejoice. That first song, we're going to sing it again. But guys, the last thing we need to understand is that we have to walk it out in obedience, knowing that God's word is trustworthy, it is true, it is reality. And everything in your life that's trying to sell you this idea that getting back to size six is going to heal you, that getting to a nice house is going to make you well, that getting the right husband is going to make you better, that all that stuff, you don't have to obey. You don't have to obey it. But the God of mercy and grace, who makes you promises that he will always keep, he's worthy of your obedience. Not because you have to, but because you want to. Stand with me. Let's pray. And let's sing. Father in heaven, we're coming to you to sing to you, to worship you because you're worthy of it. You're worthy of all of our worship and praise. And Jesus, I am so thankful uh, that you would choose me out of a pile of other little skinny, dysfunctional, addicted, broken children. You took me and you made me your own and you love me and I'm thankful for that. So God, I'm here to sing to you as well, to celebrate with joy. Thank you that I don't have to obey the world. Thank you, God, that I don't have to be affected by it. And thank you, God, that I can worship with a real hope that you're going to come and make everything new. Everything that breaks my heart, you're going to make it new and you're going to wipe away every tear. We're here, God. We want to worship you in Jesus' name.